Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, how are you this week? Alyssa, I'm finally doing a little bit better. I've been kind of down over the last couple of weeks, but I think things have finally made a turn, upward swing, turn for the better, whatever, uh, whatever euphemism we need to be using today. I think I'm on that path, so it's good, just in time. How are you doing? How's camp life? I'm feeling good. I have to say a little bit of time in constant sunshine. It's been perfect weather here in Tucson, and I have a nice little you know, cycling base tan situation developed now after some miles in the sun. And I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling exhausted and tired. Um, five days with nonstop chatter and exercise is a lot for me. You know, it's quite a change from my everyday life where some days I go with only seeing like my dog and the lifeguards at the pool or like my only social interaction. So it's definitely like, it's always just a big few days here, but it's been super, super fun. And we had a lot of like Iron Women supporters and Outspoken Summit supporters here. So we had Arielle Knutson from Noon, who's been on the podcast. She talked to us on our sponsorship episode. So Arielle actually joined us at camp 
And um, we also heard, had, had the winner. You had the winner of the Smash Noon contest, which we promote a little bit on here because we were both we were fans of Smash Fest Queen Apparel and Noon Hydration. Big fans here. And those two companies ran a contest a couple months, weeks ago to... Uh, win a chance to come to camp with you so who won who was this woman and was she did she live up to the hype are you ready for this so we actually had fellow pro holly benner who Haley, we talked to um i guess a, a couple months ago was it um yeah that's right like in january we interviewed her she won she was the contest she won. winner she was our winner so ah, she came to fantastic. camp it was awesome and the campers were super pumped because it was like one more pro to be like out there smashing it with them and trying to keep up with her and she actually came right over from oceanside so she just raced and came here and then it was just fabulous to have her here and hear her perspective on racing and training and stuff and she you know like everyone loved having her here it was great so yeah she won the contest so everyone should always enter the contest because you never know when when you can be the winner even our guests are winners that's i mean in more ways than one (laughs) they can win races and they can win our contests that's that's great well cool that's cool you got to go hang out with both uh ariel and Holly, and of course, everyone else who was there. And Haley, we had Alicia and Maisha here, and both of them were at the Outspoken Summit. And <gasps> I met both of them. Yes. And so they were there, or they were at Outspoken and then here, and they have both written into the mailbag, I believe. So hello, ladies. Thank you again for listening and supporting. Um, and it was super fun to get to, you know, always put faces to the names that I see online and, and in the iron women community. It's always do you, amazing. Do you, yeah. Do you feel like, like all your worlds are colliding, you know, like you're meeting these people that you like formerly only knew online. Is it like, is it fun or is it like, Oh my gosh, the world is a small place. Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, it's super, super fun. And then you start, of course, like you meet these new people, you play six degrees of separation and you just figure out like all these other ways that you guys all know each other. And then you set the future dates to like reunite and see each other again at more camps and or races and all that stuff. But I'm just super excited after seeing everyone here. Like it's still preseason for most people, although we've been kicking off racing now in North America. Um, but everyone's just like ready to go. I can tell already the season has is going to hold a lot of good things for for people out there. Cool. Well, congrats to everyone who was at that camp. I know those are legit, you know, the training in Tucson, you get a lot of good, good training in. So very cool. I'm glad you got to be there and be part of it. Haley, we end this camp with a track session on Boston marathon Monday. And so in between some of our track splits, Hillary was giving us updates. And of course we were following fellow iron woman, Kate Pallardy. Did you happen to see how Kate ended up? She was our guest last week, um, on the show. I did. So if anyone listened, hopefully everyone listened. If you haven't, go back and listen. Kate's Kate's interview was great. She's a fantastic storyteller. And it made it one of my, you know, it was a really, really good episode. So definitely go back and listen to that. But she was running Boston. I did check the results. She finished 19th overall elite female in a 238. And people might remember her goal was to break 240. So she did. You know, she went 238. Fantastic time. Um, it looked like a great day. I know there were forecasting kind of bad weather for Boston, but it actually looked like a pretty nice day for running. 
Yeah, I think I saw, you know who else actually ran? I did take note as um, Leanda Cave. So I saw no way. she tweeted. Yeah. So I don't think it went too well for her. Her tweet was something about it hurt. And I, I think she, she positive split by quite a bit. So, you know, I don't know in her retirement exactly what Leanda is doing with her run training and stuff, but it's always fun to see pros out there. But I did see something she put about the weather and I, th- I think it was quite nasty there early in the day, but of course, Boston starts later. I got Leanda's time. Do you want to know what it is? I think this uh, is still impressive. I think Leanda's an impressive person, but she went a 340, which we've seen Leanda run a little faster off the bike. But I mean, I think it's also like, hey, that's retirement life. It's great that she's still out there. I mean, more power to her. I wasn't running a marathon today. <laughs> so uh, no, exactly. that's cool. That's really cool. I had missed that. And then also we had another Iron Woman podcast guest from like a year ago who ran Steph Corker and who's actually ho- co-hosted with me a couple times. She ran a 312. Nice yeah, job for Steph. Yeah, I crushed it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's super fun. I mean, again, it once was again, a good day for Iron Women podcast alumni, right? Good things happen to you when you listen to the podcast. I mean, it's just, it's, it's what happens. Very cool. Well, congrats to everyone who ran Boston this morning and to everyone who raced this weekend. I know there were couple races this past weekend in China and Lima. And luckily our, our social media team was very on top of that. <laughs> and cause those races are, they're fun. Actually, they're kind of fun to watch. Cause you like wake up in the morning and check results, but since they're like happening overnight, but, um, but yeah, some fast racing and crazy conditions all over the planet. We are in race season. It's exciting. And Haley, speaking of our social media team, so we do have a fun announcement for everyone this week. We are uh, announcing our big launch of a platform called Patreon. And Haley brought up our social media team, right? And so you may or may not know that the Iron Women podcast is part of Live Feisty Media, and that's a big team of women. And what we're trying to do is like spread across a lot of different things. And so for this particular show, right, Haley... You and I take some time out of our weeks to plan it and record it. We meet with Sarah Gross, our, our, who's producing it with us. And then from there, it's like, I joke, it's like how a bill becomes a law. It's like how that show becomes a podcast because we then send it over to Erin Hamilton, who's our lovely editor. She takes her time to make sure that it actually sounds good because I promise it doesn't sound this good right after Haley and I record it, especially on the days when we're training a lot. And then from there, Haley, where, where does it go? I believe Jessica Cooper are, we're talking about the social media team. So our social media team is Jessica Cooper and Taylor Mahon Rudolph, and they are fantastic. And they, you know, they, they make sure everything sounds good, make sure everything makes sense. I think actually, this is a fun fact that I'm adding in about the Boston Marathon. Jessica Cooper fact checked last week, who, which one of you or me won the Boston Marathon? Well, one out of the two of us in uh, 2008. And she actually found the results. So if any of our listeners did not find that result, curious, Alyssa, do you want to give them the results? I, I don't know. I must have lost that email when Jessica sent it to me. <laughs> yeah. So she, she helps fact check some stuff. But anyway, if anyone is curious, I'll, I'll tell you the results. I ran in 2008. <laughs> Alyssa and I were both 22 years old. We did not know each other. And I ran a 3.32 and Alyssa ran a 3.33. <laughs> That's got, so funny. We were only a minute. And Haley, I would bet 
I'd have to look at pictures, but I bet I ran that in a cotton t-shirt and I'm pretty sure you probably ran yours in a cotton t-shirt too, didn't you? <laughs> probably. Those were like the good old days for sure. I bet. I know that. How crazy is that? We were, I, so I wrote back to Jess. I was like, we were destined to meet Alyssa and I, obviously we were like, literally they like, tried to do the meeting in Boston and then it didn't work. So then we had to meet, they had to like, destiny had to bring us together again in Louisville a few years later. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, need, need to suffer more and then they will meet. So, um, the long history of Alyssa and I, I still think it's pretty cool that both of us at age 22 are running the Boston marathon, but back to Patreon side note there, but Jess and Taylor, they do a fantastic job. If anyone follows us on Instagram and Twitter and you know, I mean, obviously you should, if you don't iron, it's at iron women pot underscore podcast, I believe is Instagram, but great content on there. And so, and they keep everything going all week since the podcast comes out on Thursday, we have to keep promoting that all week. So it, it really does take a village. Um, and then, you know, by the time we release one of these episodes, we are already planning the next one. I mean, it pretty much is, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. We love it, but, um, but it is something that, we would like to continue to do and we'd like to continue to grow and to continue to bring you great guests and to give you high quality product. And to do that, we sometimes need a little help. So that's why we are launching Patreon. And so, of course, we also have on the team Ashley Wiles and Kelly O'Mara. So the Patreon is for the the whole of Live Feisty. We just launched it yesterday, so it's brand new if you were listening to us on Thursday, which is the day we come, we uh, release this podcast. So you can go check this out at patreon.com forward slash live feisty. And that's P A T R E O N.com forward slash live feisty. And you can take a look there. We have, I don't, you know, if you're familiar with other Patreons or that are out there, basically there's several levels where you can come in and join our community, support us, and again, help us keep producing and making this content for you as regularly as we can. Right. So the levels start at like $2 a month. Like we aren't exactly. at, like, we're looking for, you know, just if join us, you know, become part of what we're trying to do, bring more media attention to women. And so it's not a huge, we're not asking for, you know, a huge investment, but you know, come join the team. And um, so as little as $2 a month, which is just 50 cents per podcast, if you listen to both Iron Women and if we were riding. So it comes out to a fairly, I mean, there are bit higher levels. There's a $5 a month, $10 a month. I think you actually start to get some prizes, things like social media shout outs and discounts on the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. So there are, as you invest more, there are some benefits, but really we just want you to join our community. So there's no minimum commitment. Please take a look. And we will link to that as well in the show notes. Um, and I'm sure you will hear more from us on that in upcoming episodes as well. Cool. Alyssa, we do actually have a mailbag question this week. I think we have a couple mailbag questions, but I think we only have time for one, right? So thank you to everyone who has written in our mailbag. If you don't know it is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we love answering all your questions. And I believe this week's question is from Amy. 
Yes. So Amy wrote in, she's an age group triathlete. She has a full season of races starting in about a month, everything from Olympic distance, half distance. She kind of works her way up through the season, getting to a full distance at the end of September. However, over this past four months, so probably kind of coming out of the off season time period, she's had a knee injury, which is now fixed, but now it's like a calf injury. And so a few things have caused her to kind of have a a start stop with, as she's been getting ready for her season and she's doing all she can. She has a physio who's helping her, but you know, now she's kind of in this place where she has, she's not quite where she wanted to be to start the season. She's feeling a little bit under trained and she has some pressure because she feels like she already booked the accommodation and the travel for these races and for her season, which is like coming up before she knows it. Right. So she's wondering how, and if she should mentally prepare for DNFs, she, you know, doesn't know if she has the discipline to use the walk run. And like, if everyone around her is running, how that's going to make her feel. Should she just end the race in T2 if she's not quite ready for the run? So she's looking for our advice, Haley. And I think this is, this is a pretty common question actually from age groupers. And it's one of, for sure, the advantages that I found when I turned pro is that you you can, you know, we, we don't have to schedule our race season quite as far out. And sometimes that's the strategy of racing as a professional. But I do vividly remember the, the days of racing as an amateur when, you know, you were waiting at your computer when the entry opened so that you could get a spot. And then that's a year away. And so much can happen from a year. And I, I totally get how the pressure mounts as you know, those races that you signed up for so long ago, you know, your things have changed. Right. So Haley, what would, what would you tell Amy here? So if I go back to being in her shoes, kind of being an age grouper where you have signed up so far in advance and you've really looked forward to it. And even from my coach, I've had, from a coaching perspective, I've had athletes in, you know, similar kind of situations. There have been times, even in my, like me personally, i did miss a race because, you know, just life things were happening and I had, I had signed up a year in advance and I really wanted to go, but sometimes you just can't make it. And sometimes that is the best thing. Like, you know, take care of yourself, stay home, you know, rehab. I've also coached athletes before who like were, and actually I've done one, like a planned DNF, you know, and that could be, you can do it for any reason. And it's hard, but I think if you plan for it going in, you know where it is. Like, I mean, it can be a really good race strategy to do a swim and a bike and you don't have that run where you are risking the injury and your recovery is a lot better, you know, if you don't run. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There are even some races that are aqua bikes where that is, you know, that is the race. It's swim, bike, and it's where it's the full race. And I really think the only person who really cares if you DNF or if you're doing a walk run is you. And I think in our heads, we think, oh, everyone's going to check the results and see that I DNF'd. But in reality, like no one does, no one cares. And if they did, they care for like 10 seconds and then they like move on to caring about something else. That's the pace of our world we live in these days. So I would say I'm always kind of on the air, air on the side of caution, you know, either don't start, do a planned DNF or a complete walk or one run walk. I mean, there's no shame in doing run walk. I mean, I've, I've done run walk in some of my best races. I mean, sometimes it is like a real strategy. I've seen some really, really like great times come out of a run walk for athletes. And I think, you know, that can be a really good strategy. I mean, there's a reason that Jeff Galloway's run walk marathon plan is like one of the best selling marathon plans then like, you know, in terms of marathon planning, because it really works and it's like a good way to stay healthy and manage these types of things and still get out there and race. And I can tell you that, yeah, like Haley said, like 
I mean, it's, it's definitely hard when you're in your own head to feel like you're being passed and everyone's judging you and things like that. But again, like when, you know, if you think about it from the other side and when you're in a race, if you're passing someone who's walking, like when have you ever been like, Oh man, like they shouldn't be like, no, I'm so excited for anyone that's out there on the race course. Who's moving forward. Right. Whether they're running, walking, crawling, whatever, like it's just fun to have everyone out there enjoying the same space and being out racing and, you know, whatever that is for people. I think no one is really, you know, dissecting races of other people, you know, any more than yourself. So giving yourself a little bit of grace to kind of relax and still be a part of the community, even if you're not at your, you know, the total top of your game, I think is totally fine. But aqua bikes are very cool too. I like that plan too. I know. And I was also going to add, like, if you can't, you know, you can't, can't do the race and everything is booked and it's non-refundable, maybe go and volunteer or go and cheer. Um, I'm sure you probably have friends there. And I've done that before too. And when I was injured, I've gone to an Ironman and cheered. And I mean, some people might think it's hard, but to be honest, like I was in no position that I should have been doing an Ironman. (laughs) I couldn't, I could barely run like around cheering. So, and I mean, it gives you a, you kind of learn a lot by watching a race. Like you get to kind of see what it looks like from the outside. And I think there's some value in that. If you, I mean, if you've ever done a race, you know how much volunteers help. So it gives you an opportunity to see things from the volunteer side, which is going to make, you know, the situation when you get back to full health and you are racing like that, just so much richer because you're, you've been on the other side. And so, and it will, it probably seems like it's going to take forever right now, but time goes fast and, you know, so kind of find the silver lining, like what can you do now? Like, how can you still enjoy that atmosphere and be part of it? And, you know, and, and then it will pay off later when, when you're in the race and you're like, Hey, I've seen someone else be in this position. I know what to do. Or like, I've seen someone run from way back here and, you know, pass all these people. So I know I can do that. There's a lot, there's a lot of value in, in being on the other side. And again, you can send into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We have a full mailbag, but if we don't get to yours this week, it will absolutely be We'll chat about it in one of the upcoming episodes, but we did want to get to our interview for the week. And Haley, we have a returning Iron Woman to the show and we have Laura Siddle coming back on and she, you know, has just raced Ironman New Zealand and she was fourth this year there. And then she kind of took that fitness into an off-road adventure the following weekend, which she tells us a bit about. But Laura has also been fourth at Challenge Roth last year. She won Ironman New Zealand and Ironman Australia last year as well. So she is a powerhouse on the race course. And it's always fun to sit and chat with her as she talks about her lifestyle as she's all over the world, literally training and racing and and having some fun. So we'll hear from Laura next. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right, and our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions and toughest elements. 
They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twixt Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and the Body Lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me back. It's been a, been a few years. I think we're just working out. <laughs> so you are probably considered an honorary Kiwi by many people because I think I counted right that you spent the last four winters in New Zealand, and this winter was no different. And because of that, you happened to race Challenge Wanaka and Ironman New Zealand, so they've both become special races to you. But you've been open to the fact about this particular year, both races kind of left you a little unsatisfied. So how have you approached the learning experience that's come from having a couple underwhelming results this year so far? Wow, straight in with the big questions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, this is my fourth, and I'm going to say summer, back in New Zealand. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I I just go summer to summer. Yeah, so, and and I put Wanaka and I put Ironman New Zealand on my list every year, partly from being down here and partly just because they are awesome races. And this year was a little bit different leading into the races. I had um, I took quite a big break for me at the end of end of October, so all through November, beginning of December, took quite a big break off, which I haven't done for the past few years. Um, mainly off the back of sort of two three years of heavy racing schedule and lots of travel, so very much needed that sort of mental and physical break. And with that comes all the worries that are you going to get back to fitness? Are you going to fight? Especially as you get older, as everyone keeps telling you, can you get back? But um, yeah, I mean, I went into those two races feeling pretty good with how training had been going and how we'd ramped back up and was quite excited to get out there and see what I could do again. I'd been putting on a lot of work on the swim. The bike was going well, running was going, you know, as as well, if not better than ever. And yeah, as you said, just came away with sort of two, Look, and it's all relative, isn't it? But for me, kind of underwhelming and disappointing performances. And yes, still managed to get on the podium in Wanaka and um, was in that sort of frustrating fourth place in, in New Zealand. But you know, I think you can be, you can kind of be happy. And again, look, this is relative when we're talking about athletes and people, you can kind of be happy with the results. I think if you feel your performance was reflective of where you feel you are fitness wise and where you feel your training is going. And that was the gap for me. And I just felt there's this big disparity between what we'd been working on in training and then actually like that execution in the race learnings going away from that it's been really quite difficult to be honest as to try to take away the learnings because everything's been going right in training the um, numbers are good heart rates are good and so there's real this big disconnect that we're really trying to work on what's happening in that conversion into race day. And honestly, it's kind of redrawing blanks, just exploring lots of different avenues, lots of different options, talking to quite a few different people to try and put the pieces together. In terms of learning and training, I'm we're kind of just doing 
like the training had been going well and the training had been working. So we have changed a few things this year compared to last year, but we're still sort of working on that same rhythm, that same pattern, putting in those different sessions because the physical training was working and that still seems to be going pretty well. It's just there's a, there's a disconnect, yeah, from training to race and it's just, it's hard to pinpoint that. So yeah, learnings to take away is just, I think, keep believing in the process, keep just head down day to day. Don't try and overthink things, just sort of keep keep putting in the work and, and hopefully it will it will click at some point. Laura, have you ever had anything like this before? Because I know that in my own experience, like I've totally had some of my, you know, best training blocks lead into like this race that it's not bad, but it just wasn't it wasn't what I trained for, right? And sure. and then I kind of have seen like a couple months down the road finally things click the training pays off and everyone's like surprised and I'm like no no no, I should have had that like ran that race like <laughs> yeah. six months ago I mean has that ever happened to you before or is this kind of new first time experience even though you've been a pro for several years yeah no there's we've never quite got out what we believe we're capable of on from training into race day ever you know I've had just talking about the bike specifically I have I've had good bike legs in a race but they've always been short of what I'm showing I'm capable of in training so there's always been a disconnect but I think the gap hasn't been as big or as noticeable in sort of previous years and I think maybe that's with expectations stepping up sort of that minimum bar going up everyone all the rest of the women in the in the sport which is fantastic is all you know that standard is all going up and so that difference is just becoming more exaggerated and a little bit more frustrating as it's still kind of this ongoing, how are we getting transferring from the training to race? So it's always kind of been there or thereabouts in the past, but not to the same extent. And I, I definitely know what you mean. There is that kind of when you finally get a performance that you feel is a little bit more reflective and everyone's like, oh, wow, they just had like this amazing day. And you're like, no, I've been, yeah, exactly what you said. I've been showing that it's no surprise to me sort of thing, but it then seems to be, a surprise to everyone else and then there's sort of there's that judgment that they think you as an athlete are sort of only at this level and then you just have sort of that odd spike when really you feel actually what I'm showing that I'm capable of is much higher but I'm just not showing it consistently on race day as some some of the women out there do. And Laura you had a pretty unique way though to bounce back from these races so you threw yourself into an off-road adventure and you'll have to correct me or tell me how to say this. So Matata, Matata Poo? Uh, <laughs> Motatapu. I was kind of close. Motatapu. So, um, I like that. That's yeah. yeah. So there was an off-road weekend of racing there and yep. it included for you a 47K mountain bike on Saturday and then a trail marathon on Sunday. And this all yeah. happened the weekend after Ironman New Zealand, where, as you said, you were fourth, which while might have unsatisfied, left you unsatisfied, is still like a really strong result and obviously took a lot probably out of your body to perform. How did this come about? Like, was this your idea? Was this like just a spontaneous <laughs> thing? Or did you like sit after the race, like looking for something? What? How did this happen? And yeah, so it was always in the back of my mind anyway, leading into Ironman New Zealand, but not as a, not as something to think about or focus on. So th the year previously I'd raced New Zealand and then I'd returned back down to Wanaka and the Mototapu event is back down in Wanaka. And I actually volunteered for the Xterra, the off-road triathlon down there. 
and just had a really great morning being on the other side of the fence, watching all the athletes go off in the triathlon. And so this year it was the same. It was the week after Ironman New Zealand. I was again heading back down to Wanaka for the, over that weekend. And I just kind of thought, hey, why not just do the... I didn't want to do the, the off-road triathlon, but I thought about the mountain bike being quite a good way to just do something different. And there was probably a little, I mean, it probably came about a little bit more after the race with some frustrations from the race and sort of looking for some way to um, not punish myself. That's the wrong word, but sort of like get that aggression or get that frustration out. And the other thing about Mototapu is the the track that you travel on. So it starts in the Wanaka side. So Glendu Bay, um, which is actually on the Challenge Wanaka bike course, it starts there and it you cycle over the Crown Range over to Queenstown. And it's on private land. So this track is only open for one weekend a year. And this is the only weekend a year it's open. So that part of the world, you know, I love Wanaka and it's just stunning, but you never get to see that part of the that part of the countryside. So it was kind of an opportunity to just do something completely different. No expectations, no pressure. It would double as the fact of keeping the body moving, but not actually sort of be training. And this year as well, so last year, everything was on the same day. So you could only really sort of do one event. But this year it was on, they've split it over two days, which is fantastic. So the first plan was just do the mountain bike. I have never been on a mountain bike before. So it was all kind of new and exciting. And the local bike shop down in Wanaka, Races Edge, they kindly lent me a bike. And one of the guys there, Luke, he took me out on the bike sort of two days before the race and said, right, this is how it works. You've got a seat that goes up and down. That was all quite exciting. <laughs> um, and, you know, what to do on downhills and uphills. So very basic lesson. You might need that kind of seat on your triathlon bike with the chip seal in New Zealand. I feel I like know, that would yeah. be a nice little right. comfort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like, and the next day I just took myself out for a ride and then sort of day three was Mototapu and it was just fantastic. Cause it was just about getting out in the countryside, I guess, I don't know, a little bit of like when you do your ultra trails and off in far flung places is sort of fairly remote and it's just completely different and it and it was great fun so I did the mountain bike and then just as kind of, oh what the hell I'm down here and this is a great opportunity so let's just do the marathon the off-road marathon the next day and that was very much I, I had no idea what my legs would feel like what on you know off the back of Ironman New Zealand having done the mountain bike and so I was fully prepared to kind of it be a run walk kind of experience again it was more about the experience than racing and I had some friends who were going to be walking it so I was like well if the worst comes to the worst I walk it and there's you know there's worse places to be in the world walking a marathon through this part of this countryside and I mean I just set off running just pretty steady pretty easy I had my GoPro out taking pictures and that sort of thing and just chat along and it just amazing experience from doing something that's a little bit you know it's not completely different it's still running but out of what I normally do in swim bike and run there was no pacing I was trying to hit there was no um you know no intervals no effort things like that it was just running and enjoying it and enjoying being outside and actually I think because you're sort of on trail but it wasn't particularly particularly technical so it's kind of bit softer on the legs and you're running at that kind of sort of just pretty steady pace 
all day and so just able able to enjoy it and yeah probably just used a bit of the the leftover frustration from the weekend before to sort of carry me carry me through and carry you through um your legs definitely did you actually won that trail marathon and you you beat lucy bartholomew who is a young australian pro ultra runner who was i believe third at western states last year so no slouch there i mean was that a surprise to win that race (laughs) Yeah, totally, total, total surprise. Definitely not in the plan. I mean, Lucy had, so because now the weekend was split, they have an ultra marathon the day before, which I say ultra, it's fifth, I think it's 50K. So it doesn't sound that much longer than the marathon, but it takes three or four hours longer because they go through much more higher elevation. And so Lucy, I think, was planning to do the ultra and then the marathon the next day, but unfortunately sort of fell over or fell down a banking sort of, quite early on on the ultra the first day so didn't finish that race so but to be honest when I started the marathon like I said had no intention of racing or or that's the thing wouldn't even known who was on the start list kind of thing and started fairly way back as we crossed the line and like I said just started running and I mean I was kind of overtaking people as we got going and and it was you know, the race strings out at the front. So I was sort of still moving through quite well. And I was like, oh, they can't, there can't be that many women or people in front. And I was like, oh, this is quite cool. Maybe I'll get like a, you know, a top five women or a top three women. That'll be, you know, that won't be a bad day at the, a day out sort of thing. And then I, I caught up with this one lady and at this time, you know, you could sort of see one person then there'd be a massive gap and maybe a few others ahead. And I caught up with this one lady and it was sort of like, I said, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit quiet out here now, isn't it? There's not many people around, and so we had a bit of a chat. And then she said, oh, Lucy Bartholomew's just ahead. And when she said that, it took me by surprise because I knew Lucy's name and I knew what had happened yet the day before. And I was like, oh, and I was kind of wasn't, I was more surprised going, oh, I didn't know she was racing or assumed she had, wouldn't be racing because she'd been injured the day before. And I was like, all right, that's okay. You know, we'll just carry on. And then there, there was a really steep banking section and I got to the top of that and there was a, a volunteer at the top and he said, oh, the lead, the lead female's just up ahead. And I, it, she, she's in, they're in the orange. And I was like, okay, that's, that's okay. And I was looking down this valley and trying to sort of scan to where this person was in orange. And I could only see someone in pink just in front of me and couldn't see any orange. I was like, well, you know, it's all right. You're not, you're not in this terrain. So just keep, keep going. And Anyway, I was catching up with this person in pink and then was like, oh, no, that's that's a female. That must be that must be Lucy. And I I know the name, but I sort of never haven't met her or anything. So I overtook at about the halfway mark, so about 21 Ks. And it was very much like, oh, shit, this this wasn't in the plan. Like this wasn't the <laughs> this wasn't sort of expected to now be at the front of the race. And. I didn't know if Lucy was sort of then going to start actually start racing or pick up the pace or anything like that. And I was like, Oh, I don't really want to get into a, a race situation. That's not what I was here to do. So it just was kind of like, yeah, just carry on like running, how you've been running, just relax, enjoy it. And so I did. And, and then caught up with a few other guys in front and did a double check, just saying, are there any other females ahead? And they were like, no, no, you're the one. And I was like, all right, okay. And sort of thing. I better not fuck this up now, sort of thing. And I was just, I was just kind of laughing to myself, not in a, not in an arrogant way, just going, "This is crazy. This was just not expected." And 
you know, there was one point in the run and it was, I guess, about probably just coming up to the maybe about 28 kilometers in. So just before the final final section, which was actually a, de- a descent down into Queenstown or Arrowtown. But I looked ahead of me and it was on a kind of a plateau in the valley, but you're still high up. And I looked ahead and there was just I couldn't see anyone ahead of me. And I looked behind and I couldn't see anyone either. And it was just bizarre. I was like, I'm in this race. I'm in this event. I can't see anybody around me. It's just me and the hills. And I just start, I think I just started like shouting and it was echoing off the hills and singing and just smiling. I was just like, you just, you don't get, I've never had that experience, I guess. I've never had that just full enjoyment of running. And then the ridiculousness that it was like, heck, I'm actually at the front of this race. And funny things like, you know, there's no lead bike like you get in a triathlon. So, and I didn't even know what timing mats were down across the tracks. It's like, does anyone know that I'm in the lead? And a lot of the guys, the guys at the finish line just sort of pissing themselves that I've kind of come and and just doing this race and, and played it down because I didn't, I honestly didn't expect to be in, to be in that situation. So, um, yeah, it was quite it was quite funny, and um, you know, coming down the last bit, there's a lot of river crossings as well, which were good fun, and caught up with another guy, and and I think I just started sort of babbling away because I was just on this runner's high, I guess, and it was again the first person I'd seen in sort of the last twenty kilometers, and the poor guy was something like, "Who is this nut job? Absolutely just running down this hill." But uh, yeah, so it was. Um, and an absolutely amazing experience and yeah, a nice kind of surprise to have, have the win, but more about just running and in, enjoying it and loving being out there. And so I'm dying to know if you're inspired to do more off-road racing now that you've <laughs> seen the light of the trail. Um, I, I think I probably will at, at certain times when it, when the timing's right. I think there's, you know, there's a big, loads of people have said to me afterwards like oh you know that's probably how you have to go into your triathlon race is just like that that freedom that no pressure and and no expectation and I I understand that from a point but there is a difference like so if I came to do that race again I would suddenly have an expectation that I would want to go faster and I would suddenly be looking at pacing I think and and trying to do it and so I think I'd probably look to do off-road things that are different and new and so that they removes that pressure and expectation that you put on yourself. Not necessarily that anyone else is putting on you, but you put on yourself. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, I was down at the coast-to-coast finish, which is a, an iconic race here in New Zealand where you go from the west side of the, the South Island over to the east side in one day and it's a combination of cycling, kayaking, trail running and that sort of thing. And seeing everyone at the finish line you know that was pretty cool and I'd love to do that one day if I can get myself into a kayak so it's definitely I think it just opens your eyes up to the amazing events and experiences you can do within the realms of sport and that you don't have to just be the traditional swim bike run kind of thing fitness opens a lot of doors yeah it does it does and just like the people you meet and the you know, the atmosphere at the end of the mountain bike was just everyone was crossing the line and they'd got, it was in a big park and there was loads of food trucks and there was a beer tent and everyone's like, the bikes were just all laid on the ground and everyone's just like hanging around afterwards chatting. And, and it was a really cool, 
cool experience. I did realize that the Barclay Marathons was on this weekend. I don't think I'm quite tempted to do anything like that or anything as long as the ultras that you do, Alyssa, yet, but uh, maybe the shorter stuff. Alyssa's Alyssa's in a different another another group. It's always great to know that there's like another group, right? Like you can kind of start to think you guys. I think you think like, oh my gosh, I'm so crazy. (laughs) I do these races that are so long, and then it's like, oh, but some people go five days, some people go 42 days, some people go 60 (laughs) hours with no sleep. There's always something more. It's like the um the I know a, a couple of friends have just done the uh, what's it called as well, where they've, they've just run from uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Speed Project, yes. Thank you, thank you. And um, and whilst that's in a team and stuff like that, there's, you know, there's all sorts of things like that that I think look look pretty cool if the time presents itself sort of at the right, well, you know, with where your, where your goals are at that time to be able to do that sort of thing. And stuff. Yeah, definitely. So Laura, we know that New Zealand is, is you're not from New Zealand, you're from Great Britain, but New Zealand holds a special place in your heart and you spend a lot of time training or in Christchurch and Christchurch was in the news recently because of the devastating shooting there. So not, not the kind of news you want, but we are, you know, curious, just what is it like there and what is the outlook going forward? Because what we see on the news, it seems like, you know, this is how New Zealand has handled this, it's a, you know, just kind of a role model for the rest of the world, especially us in the United States, on how these kind of tragedies can be handled. Yeah, it's it's been pretty surreal. It's been pretty fascinating. I think, you know, I think the thing about that shocked everyone or that hurt everyone is that we've always everyone here in New Zealand thinks you know we're we're pretty small we're not insignificant but we sort of keep ourselves to ourselves we're a long way away from most places we're pretty peaceful and that and that sort of thing and so to suddenly have something like this happen in New Zealand and not just New Zealand but Christchurch so when you know Auckland and Wellington you'd probably see as the main cities so this is sort of a smaller town city and so to have something as horrific as that happen in New Zealand and in Christchurch where, you know, it's the sort of thing, you know, yeah, we see it in the news in the States and you see it in, in, in different places. And it's one of those going, Oh, well, you know, we're so out of it and sort of keep ourselves to ourselves that you kind of think it's pretty not safe. Well, I mean, it it does, it is ridiculously safe here. It's such an amazing community. And I think, so so there was a huge amount of shock, when it happened from just, you don't have, we don't have that sort of thing down in New Zealand and the actual day it happened. I mean, I'd been at one of the school, which wasn't too far away from the mosque in the morning, giving a talk to some 13 year olds and their fathers. And then I'd, you know, gone off and done some training and caught up with somebody in town. And then I was at home and I was sort of literally just getting on my bike and suddenly the phone was ringing and friend was saying, are you okay? And I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, why? What's going on? And that's how I found out what was happening. And then, you know, just that whole Friday was just surreal. I mean, by the time I got to the evening, I was just sort of glued, you're glued to the news, but it's really weird to feel, you know, watching it on TV, but realizing that actually it's only a couple of kilometers away where you're living. And Friends of mine, they you know they were at school, so the kids were in lockdown, so they were 
I think it was sort of four or so hours they were spending sitting under tables and on the floor at their school and 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 the teachers as well sort of in corridors and I mean they eventually got got released and were able to come home and that Friday was just very surreal and I don't think it probably really had sunk in quite what had happened and then it was amazing just over the next few days there was this there was of course this sort of heavy air heavy air hanging over the city you could tell everyone had been was in a little bit of a state of shock obviously like devastating sadness um but also there was kind of this huge outpouring of support like I just felt I wanted to smile at everybody and I wanted to say hello and you know I'd go swimming and the school kids coming into the swimming pool for their lessons and it's all different backgrounds and nationalities and you just wanted to smile at all of them and almost sort of give them a high five and you know you'd Christchurch is very friendly anyway and you know when I'm out riding my bike you end up talking to if you stop to take a picture you end up talking to most of the locals anyway regardless but there was definitely more this connection that people sort of wanted to wanted to connect and wanted to talk whether it was about what happened or just generally and so it's been amazing to me being here and again not being a New Zealander but living here for the past four years the incredible amount of support from all the different communities and the groups here in New Zealand you know you saw big bike you know biker gangs that you'd probably be fearful of generally but they all came and they were protecting they were almost acting as security outside some of the mosques and they wanted to they you know they're producing they were performing hackers and they were there showing their support. And so it's been incredible the amount of outpouring that's been had. And I think that shows to me what New Zealand is about um, and the way they've responded. And I went to one of the services um, the Friday after the event. And again, just, you know, and I wore, I wore a headscarf for the day, which is one of the things that we're doing. And that was eye-opening because I felt so self-conscious at wearing a headscarf. I mean, albeit I was probably in sports clothes, so it probably looked a little bit random that I was then wearing a headscarf. But it opened my eyes to say, like, if that's what I'm feeling like, is that what Muslims or women feel every day when they're wearing a headscarf? Do they feel like they are that sort of self-consciousness and, and feel like it's making them stand out and and so that was kind of quite an or or is it just because it's not something I do normally so there was sort of an eye-opening from that and but you know since then and and as the days go on like I mean I drove past one of the sites yesterday and there's still just thousands and thousands and thousands of flowers left on the side of the road and I think things hit if I go like that Friday was surreal and then a Sunday night really hit me of like heck that's just happened like really close to where I am and like at a school which is probably about 200 meters away from where I live maybe 300 they lost two of their two of their students and so suddenly then those stories come out and then yeah like I said sort of it took a few days to then really kind of hit of going and I felt awful and I was kind of surprised how upset and affected I'd been by it but then again, I think, you know, like I said, there's been an incredible outpouring of support and like the, just the local communities coming together. And sorry, I'm, I'm going on. The other thing with Christchurch is, you know, in 2011, I hopefully get, they had like the devastating earthquake. 
and they've been rebuilding after that and they're just now in 2018 2019 it's coming back to life again and businesses are moving back into the city center people are moving back into Christchurch and it's just getting that buzz back again and then so now so they've gone through that and they've they know how to deal with huge devastation and so I think they have that just ability to all pull together and support each other and that's what you've seen now um with going through the shooting I mean I feel I feel for the the generation that were old enough I mean it's adults as well but the kids that were old enough when the earthquakes happened to realize what had happened and to experience that and then sort of have grown up through school and this but are still kind of young now to then have experienced this but I think there is a lot of support out there and hopefully it's all yeah going in the right way Sorry, long, long, long answer there. <laughs> no, we definitely appreciate your outlook. And as someone who, you know, I've spent not nearly as much time in New Zealand as you have, but I've traveled there for about a month for two years in a row. And it really is a special, special community of people. And it's the place that you travel to. And, you know, we've had guests on the show talk about those places like Wanaka and like other places that they just get to visit when they're traveling there. And everyone talks about it kind of like this, you know, bubble that's immune, you know, in your head to things like this. And so I think that it hit like, you know, I think it was like a jolt of reality in a way. And, you know, it was just incredibly, incredibly sad to, to hear about that and hear the stories. And for you, I'm, I'm sure living there, it was, it was a lot to deal with, but thank you for sharing your thoughts. No, and you're right. I think it was that, that bit of reality, but also I think it showed like we always, you never you never want something like this to happen to show the true values of a place but sometimes that's what it takes um because you know we all get caught up in day to day and so yeah you know like you've experienced new zealand and i always you know wax lyrical about how amazing it is when i'm living here in the races and when people react when the community reacts when the country reacts how they have done it kind of goes yeah that I'm right about those feelings. It is a truly special place and New Zealanders are really, really special people. And yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good from that, that respect. Well, moving on, Laura, from that, we'll talk about something a little bit lighter. You touched on it a little bit in the first part of our interview where you said that you were always chasing summer. And so I have a lot of questions about this as always, you know, it's always just, it blows my mind when I see where you are next and where you are going and everything around that. And I think a lot of people would be interested, you know, I can see you on Skype now, our listeners obviously can't. So I see like you're in somewhere that looks like a home and you have like home like (laughs) things, right? So like, are those your belongings? And do you, like, where is the bulk of your stuff kept? How much do you travel with when you go between places? Yep. And was has this been a decision to, you know, like, always be getting vitamin D for, like, you know, that side <laughs> of things? Or is it, you know, an economical or a training choice? Um, maybe you can just explain to your listeners kind of the logistics of how you chase yep. summer. <laughs> yeah. So I spend six months of the year in New Zealand. So from about November through to May. And then when it starts getting cold and rainy and miserable here, I migrate north and then um, base myself in Girona in Spain. It's just about an hour north of Barcelona. Um, How that's come about, that's just from 
I guess where races are and where training are, I love training outside. I hate sitting on a tra- wind trainer inside. And so avoiding winter and those winter miles in on an indoor trainer or on a treadmill is it, something I like to do. I love just being outside, exploring different places. And it's worked well from... You know, this obviously I'll race down here in the Southern Hemisphere and then I'll race in the Northern Hemisphere. And I've just chosen Europe as a base rather than I, I did spend a couple of years in the States and race there. But now I've just found Europe is more suited to me. That might be the races that I've chosen to do. And also, I think just being a little bit closer to family these days is is quite important to me and so it's great being in Europe because I can jump on a flight home for a weekend or they can come out mum and dad and my sisters can come out to do races and that sort of thing what that looks like logistically so yes when I'm here in New Zealand I rent a studio apartment off a friend so I have it for that six months so it very much feels more like a not a permanent base in a home but it's very much more my stuff and I made a conscious effort this year to make it a little bit more homely so i have i've got a few i bought a few more items that are specifically mine specifically homely rather than just being in an airbnb or a rented space sort of thing so yes well flowers i know that's not really permanent but i made a conscious effort to buy flowers all the time and i do the same thing i actually do the same thing because it makes i can see the flowers behind you um for our listeners that we're talking we can see laura but um i actually do the same thing because it makes me really happy when i see them like in the morning or when i come back from a session or something like that like i like having the color that's it and the smell and stuff so and then I've changed, like, I've put some of my photographs on the wall and things like that and just changed a few things that makes it more of, because it, it, it's just a studio. It's literally, I mean, what you guys are seeing, I know the listeners can't, it only goes like another two meters to my to my left. And it's all like, I can see my bed, I can see my washing hanging up, I can see my bike. So it's it's kind of cabin fever at times because there's no... I don't have any separation from training, from work, from life, from, you know, just that general living. And so I do find that I need to get out. Like I'll go and sit in a cafe and do work there in between training sessions rather than necessarily being at home just because I need to need to get out. Um, and that's also why I've made an effort this year to make it a little bit more homely and like me. And then But then, so when I leave New Zealand and go to Spain, I just travel, that's more travel transient life. So I travel with obviously my bike and then I'll have a case and probably another check-in bag as well, probably two bags and like hand luggage. So, I mean, I do travel with a fair bit because I'm I'm not just traveling to a race and back. I'm going for sort of six months. So I have to have a feel I have to have it well. I probably don't. I feel I want to take a few more things with me to make it still feel a little bit homely and I'm not just suitcase living. But everything I leave here, I pack up and store very kindly in a friend's friend's spare bedroom. So my road bike stays and then obviously all clothes and kitchen things or whatever it is that I don't want to take with me, I, I leave here. Um, and so just travel to Europe with a lot less items. When I'm in Spain and Europe, I'm actually going back to the same place I rented last year, which was just a room in a friend's apartment um, in Girona. But Spain's a little bit more transient because there's a few more races and it's 
it's more like I'll go away to a race and then move on to different places before coming back to Girona. So it does, it's a little bit more logistically you're moving around. Um, whereas in New Zealand, I'll, I'll have this as the base and then I just go to a race and come back here. In terms of other stuff, like I've now just defaulted either things come to New Zealand or I ship things to my mum and dad's in the UK. So it was getting really hard remembering which bank accounts, which phone companies had which address from around the world. And then you'd go to try and change the address and they'd said, we've sent you a security code to this phone number for you to access this account. And I'd be like, great, I haven't got that SIM card anymore. Now what do I do? And so um, I just started defaulting everything to mum and dad. So they sort of get a lot of stuff <laughs> at mum and dad's and my my room, my bedroom at mum and dad's is just a whole heap of boxes and stuff that I, you know, when I used to own a house and when I used to work in the corporate world and things like that, I've still got all those kind of possessions. They're all stored up at mum and dad's house in the hope that one day they might be, <laughs> might be brought out again and put to, put to good use. So Lord, yeah. do you get homesick for one area, be it New Zealand or be it Spain or be it the UK? Or each event just like family time. I mean, do you get to see your family ever? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I do get to see family a couple of probably a couple of times through the year, which is great. And I love living in New Zealand. I love living in Spain. And you make different connections with the different communities and the people there. And so I miss them both when I'm not there. I also, when I was, I spent about seven years in Sydney, in Australia, and a lot of my good friends are based there still. And I, I don't actually get back to Sydney as much as I'd probably like to see my friends there. But yeah, I mean, I definitely miss family. You know, parents, bless them, touch wood, they're really healthy and, 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 and pretty fit. So, but they're not getting any younger. And, you know, I've got little, or they're not so little anymore, but nieces and nephews growing up. And you kind of miss out on that, that side of life. And yeah, you do get you do I do get lonely I do get you know you I'm doing everything on on my own so to speak you know a lot of the traveling a lot of the logistics a lot of the arranging you know sometimes it's just like when you've got to pack up a case again or pack up the bike and you're like you just want someone else to someone else to do the food shopping or someone else to do a butler a bu- yeah yeah that's, <laughs> that's right yeah I've been told I need a butler too. Someone yeah. said that to me once. So like, what you need is a butler. And I was like, huh. But yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, like, can someone else just like sort out those logistics and those travel arrangements? You know, I also feel like uh, when you're traveling on your own, often, like you'll get to it, especially when you're traveling with a bike, like you get to the airport and I've normally got excess baggage because of not just the bike, but because you're going for that length of time. And but because you're on your own, you've got no one else to share and distribute the weight limit with. So you just get screwed for being a single traveler and trying to be an athlete and you're trying to lead like a healthy lifestyle. And yet you're the one that's getting charged like massive amounts. Can I ask what your worst bill has been for oversized luggage? Um, over a thousand dollars. Oh, ouch, oh. ouch. Is that the places where they did it by weight and it was like... Yeah, so oh. it was per kilogram, and it was part. That was partly my fault when I just I thought it was a per bag, so I thought oh, I'll just pay an extra bag thing, and it wasn't. And I think I had it both ways as well, because it would have been on the way out. Yeah, that was going to Malaysia, I think. Yeah, oh. yeah, but normally, yeah. So it it does make you think pretty quickly about. 
either booking those extra bags in advance or um yeah trying to work out how you which airlines to use or not to use or just yeah making sure you you i a lot of people just go up to the desk and they risk it and they think they'll get away with it but i think i walk up with sort of this big sign across my forehead saying screw me for every bit of dot you know every money you have and you also kind of get to that point where you know, I used to get really stressed and upset about it and it used to wind me up. And now it's just like, I almost walk up to the counter and sort of just give my credit card and just try not to think about it and just try and be, stay pretty relaxed about it. And don't look too much at the bill that it's coming, coming through as well as obviously trying to limit, limit that. So I don't get those, uh, get those amounts, but yeah. That's me too. I'm like, just take my money. <laughs> Don't tell me what it is. I'm like, oh my gosh, it is. Cause I've never had it quite that bad though. But yeah, it, I mean, I try to kind of think of it. Okay. This is part of like when I'm booking the flight, I'm like thinking about that. Like it's part of the cost of the ticket. Like what's the maximum can get charged. <laughs> and I always plan for the worst. And then if you get a little break, you're like, woohoo, party. <laughs> yeah. You kind of, I often like, yeah, I've got away with things a little bit more or they've been a little bit more lenient and you're kind of like, oh, I'm sure it probably evens that out at some point through the world. Like, you know, I've been, yeah, screwed over at some time, but then you've got away with things a little bit better or you've had a nice, you know, I, I, uh, the last couple of times flying back and forward from Europe, Qantas have been great in granting me the excess baggage needed to my sort of membership, but I'm probably running out of favors. I can ask them again. So I might have to look at something different when I come to travel this time. Laura, you've talked a little bit about your family and we heard somewhere that your mom started running at age 72 after watching you and others race at challenge Roth or wrote, has it been cool to know that you inspired your mother to take up that as part of her lifestyle? I think she was just bored of watching me. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that was really, that was really cool. I mean, mum's, she's played tennis for quite a few years, but I mean, and I don't think she'll mind me saying that. I kind of like, I go down and playing tennis when they're crafty, the women that play, are crafty. they don't run around at all. They can just like position the shot. And there's, I've gone and played a few times a few years ago when I was, I'm the one running around like a headless chicken, like chasing all these balls around. And these women just like position the ball. So, I mean, she's, so she's played tennis, but she's never run. And she said she hadn't, she hasn't ever run. And so, yeah, she came to, she, they come to watch Roth and she was watching. They saw the, they do it the day before they have this huge 5k race for women. And it's just incredible. All ages, all shapes and sizes, all all abilities. And yeah, mum saw that and just, I think, sort of said, well, if they can do it, you know, why can't I? And obviously got caught up with this whole wave of energy that was around that race. And yeah, the next time I was home in the summer after that, we actually went down to a local park run. So they have, um, I don't know if it's as common in the in the States, but in the UK, there's this huge initiative called Park Run. And every Saturday at all these local parks all over the country, that's just a 5K, a 5K race. You just sort of, you sign up in advance, but you rock up and it's, it's, you get a time, but it's really informal and it's more just encouraging participation. And I remember the first time we went and it was my first park run. I'd never done it. My mum's first at 72 or 71. I think she was 71 actually then. And then my little niece came as well, who must have been eight at the time. So we had like three generations doing this, which was awesome. And yeah, mum just decided that she was going to train up to be able to compete in the 5k women's race the year later and so just started 
she'd do a few park runs and she'd get out and do a few runs on her own when she could. And, you know, I think her first run sort of started as she'd run as far as she could and then she'd walk. So, and I think it was sort of, she'd run 50 steps and then she'd be walking for a bit until she felt she could run another 50 steps. And so just did it, did it that way. And so it was great. Then she, so we came back to Roth last year and she did the, did the 5k women's run, which was brilliant to, to watch. I think I was, more nervous for her racing than probably she gets for or than I get for my racing and yeah in fact the other day she I spoke to mum uh, yesterday actually it was or no on Sunday and she said am I am I entering her again for Roth this year so that was kind of quite a surprise because I didn't know whether it'd just be a a one-off goal and done it I know she's not done as much running this year, I think sort of weather in the, you know, you go through winter in the UK and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, she's still been playing tennis all through. And um, I think she'll now the weather starts to improve. I think she might start doing a bit of running again. And she knows like if it's run, walk, it's run, walk, it's not too much. But it's been, yeah, it's been really cool to to see to see that and to, yeah, to support her doing that. It's never too late to start. And there's, there's no one right way to do any of these, right? Like you don't have to be the fastest. You can go run, walk, you walk the whole thing. It's yeah. pretty cool to see that. Yeah. Like mom was saying, oh, if I do it again this year, I'm probably going to be walking the whole way. And I was like, that doesn't matter. There's like, you know, there's plenty of people that will be walking and it's still just being out there and having that, that, I mean, it, that event in Roth, it's just got huge energy and atmosphere and I just think being part of that is something that's yeah that's pretty cool well Laura we know you are you're you're pretty well known for racing a lot we see you on a lot of start lines during the year where can our listeners follow you this year uh this year race wise yeah so I'm at the moment gearing up to go back to Ironman Australia so that's at the beginning of May so I'll go back and race there and then I will head over to Europe uh, it's funny this year in theory not racing quite as much but still probably getting in four or five full distances in that so challenge roth again i'll go back to um and then a couple of challenge half races around and about haven't decided which ones yet um and then i'm gonna do ironman wales in september at the end of the year i've never raced in the uk as a professional so that's kind of something I wanted to do before I finish racing. I I've done one race in the UK. It was my, it was London 2013 age group world champs. And it was my last race as an age grouper. Um, and it was my, but that was the first race I'd ever done in the UK. Cause I started doing triathlon when I was living in Australia. So yeah, so decided to put Ironman Wales on the list. I've heard lots about it. I've heard it's pretty brutal and pretty tough, but I think probably, a course that is a little bit suited to to me and yeah just an opportunity to go back and race in the UK and support the UK races but give family a chance to to see me race family and friends over there so yeah that's kind of the plan there's there'll be a few more races in between but haven't fully decided on those those yet so yeah and our last question before we let you go Laura is since many of our listeners might be kind of planning, you know, a little bit ahead and kind of eyeballing Ironman New Zealand for next year, is the bungee jumping worth an extra day <laughs> on your trip? Because you went bungee jumping this year with uh, Meredith Kessler, and yeah. there's some fun social media about it. People go onto yours and look for it, but was it worth <laughs> it? Was it 
I, um, I skipped out on that when I was there. I was too much of a chicken. There are, I'll say this, there are, if people either coming for Ironman New Zealand or if you have the world 70.3 champs, which are in 2020, if you have those on your radar, there is so much stuff to do in Taupo. It's unbelievable. You, you've got the adrenaline. So you have the bungee jump. Um, there's uh, like a bungee swing as well. There's the white ra- white water rapids that you can go down in the jet boats. Um, there's all that kind of thing. And then you've also got like the more, you've got the amazing hiking and trekking, or as in New Zealand call it, tramping over some incredible scenery. You can kayak out onto lake, onto the lake. You can see the Maori carvings. You can kayak down the river, or you can just go and sit in the thermal hot pools, um, which are you know on the lakefront. So. There is so much to do. So if you are coming, I'd definitely give yourself a chance to explore and spend some time. As as for the bungee jump, um, I always said I was never going to do it, and I won't go into the full story. People can read about that if they want to know the full extent. I think if I hadn't been tied to Meredith, I would still be sitting on that ledge, <laughs> not able to throw myself off. Meredith is so sort of matter-of-fact and process. So I knew that she was just going to be like, right, one, two, three, and off, we're going. So I was like, if I hesitate for a moment, I'm going anyway because she's going to be pulling me off. So it was good to do it with her. It was – I'm very pleased I've done it. Um, I can easily say sitting here now – Yes, of course, I'd go back and do one again on my own, knowing full well that that probably is never going to happen. <laughs> I so, watched I watched the video of you and Meredith. I think you put it in your blog or on your Facebook page. And yeah. it got my stomach going kind of the same way like watching Free Solo got my stomach going. I was like oh so God, nervous for you too. <laughs> yeah. I- how good is that movie though? I saw that the other day and that's just incredible. I've just started reading his book as well. And there's another film that's meant to Dawn Wall. Have you seen I've that seen one? Dawn Wall is, is much I, as well? You, no, you're, it's not as stressful. Dawn Wall is, okay. I think was a much more pleasant watching experience. Okay. Yeah. It's the story of Dawn Wall. I found to be quite interesting, but like free solo, the like graphicness of oh. the climbing itself is like just so insane to like see I how, can- free they are on the wall i was watching i was watching free solo and it was like again listeners aren't going to be able to see this it was like it was a horror movie i'm watching like with my t-shirt sort of up around my eyes hiding going i'm pretty sure i know the guy doesn't fall off and doesn't die here but i'm still absolutely stressing and the heart through your mouth and that sort of thing so yeah i mean the video of myself and meredith throwing ourselves off um the bungee is quite amusing because she's very pumped up that might just be sort of all for show or whatever or how she copes and I'm sort of sitting there fairly uh shitting myself I think was probably the words and stuff like that but um yeah pretty cool adrenaline rush so but in in New Zealand in Taupo in Taupo there are lots of things from the adrenaline junkie stuff to lovely relaxing peaceful cultural Maori things to do as well so yeah <laughs> Well, I think that those races, both of them, the 70.3 Worlds and the Ironman, are on a lot of people's radars for 2020. So thank you so much for giving some insight and best of luck to you this season. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for having me on. Haley, I'm so excited because I just love more of my fellow female athletes getting into the trail running scene. And I have no doubt that Laura could like really do some solid hit outs if she ever even wanted to take on something further than the marathon distance off-road. So no pressure, Laura, but I think you should do it. 
I love I love hearing about all of her adventures, especially that bungee jumping. I'm glad you snuck in that bungee jumping question at the end because I almost forgot about it. And she's obviously fearless, even though she said she was like scared. I mean, I wouldn't even be getting anywhere like within a 50 mile radius of that thing. So well done, Laura. I can't wait to see what's next for you. Good luck in 2019. All right, Haley. Well, that's it for this week. But once again, we just want our listeners, please go check out patreon.com forward slash live feisty. You can support our community and help us keep this going for as little as $2 a month, which would just be like 50 cents a podcast. If you're a regular iron women podcast listener and again, check it out, send us any questions you have about it. But Patreon is basically just a crowd funding um, source for like content creation, I believe is a good way to say it. And so it really helps keep the things that we're doing going. And I know it means a lot to us to have our community growing and be supported. Right. And we are thankful for our sponsors and we're thankful for our listeners who support our sponsors because we are, we're doing our best to keep this growing and continuing. And Patreon is just another, another way to help us grow. So if you are inclined to join our community on there, we are very, very thankful and we're thankful for your support in every way. Sharing the podcast, leaving us ratings and reviews, it all helps. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, Haley. Well, I hope you continue on the up and up. And I'm going to head back east where hopefully the sunshine is coming out there too. And I'll talk to you next week. All right. Safe travels, Alyssa. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FQC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.